This is Company the Podcast. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia for ambitious women living in the bush, the cities, and all over the world. Today's guest was a suggestion from a listener. Although I have been perving on her hats and millinery skills for years from afar, it's Fiona Schofield from Fiona Schofield Millinery in Orange. And after chatting with her at length, I now understand why her hats are such works of art. She studied fashion at the White House Institute of Design. She made hostess hats for Ansett Airlines. And I just love the way that she speaks about all the things in her studio. To add to her wonderful chat, Fiona has so generously shared with me a huge list of inspirational people to follow on Instagram. And have to tell you, most of them are new to me. It's a wonderful list. I'll pop it in my newsletter, which is coming so, so soon. If you haven't signed up already, and thank you so much to those of you that have, you can find a link on my website, mansonandcompany.com. Hi, Sky. I'm Fiona Schofield. And I'm a milliner based in Orange, New South Wales. I'm sitting in my workroom this morning, uh, looking out the windows that are mostly grey but hints of blue sky. It's a bit chilly and um, looking forward to having a chat with you. Oh, well, Fiona, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. We've had a few little tries at this, um, as is always the way, I think. Um, I wanted to start by asking you about Orange and where you live and how long have you been there? Did you move there when you were married or, or just before or have you always lived in Orange? Um, I grew up in this region just down the road from Orange in Forbes and lived there with my family until I was 17. Um, And I couldn't get out of here fast enough, uh, which I think sort of goes hand in hand with age and interest. Um, And then where my husband and I met in 94, seems like a hundred years ago, and we, he was a Sydney boy, but he knew this region and we both identified Orange was where we wanted to end up. We knew then that it just had something that, that was great. Um, you know, I had always come here with my mum during school holidays. It was where you came to shop, get your hair done, have nice lunch, all of that sort of thing. Um, and we just offered a really great base It was, uh, I've said it before when people have asked, it was big enough but it was small enough, it was close enough but it was far enough. So it's good proximity to Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra but it still had that close community feel that you get in a regional setting. Um, That said, we married in 96 and it took us until 2004 to actually make the move and get here. So we've been here now for just gone 16 years. And what did you and your husband do? Like what was your career before when you left school and uh, before you moved back to Orange? Uh, So I studied fashion. I trained at 
Uh, it was called the White House School then. It's now known as the White House Institute. I desperately wanted to work in fashion. Well, that was what I thought at the time. Um, I, I had a great interest in clothes and design and fabrics and and so I studied and did their um, fashion design and illustration course. I got probably six months into the course and realised that I really didn't love the work process of making clothes. I'd always sewn and, and made clothes for myself and for friends as I was growing up. And the idea of it as a work process then didn't really appeal to me. The idea of it being mass produced, you know, of it just being a case of, you know, sitting in a beautiful room and drawing beautiful pictures, none of, none of that is quite reality. And, and so once that was all stripped back and it was down to designing, pattern making, sending off to production, I realised that the thing that I really loved was the actual making. Um, and I didn't want to just design and send it off to someone else to make it. And I didn't want to make 5,000 of them, um, whatever it was. I, I was far more interested in process than end results. So in second year, we were offered millinery as an elective and that was very much a light bulb moment for me. It, it offered what I was missing in the clothes. It gave me the opportunity to, it has a lovely sort of sculptural feel. It's very much hands-on. It's kind of like art that has a practical process at the end. It's kind of sculpture. That clicked for me. So, um, so Neil Grieg was my lecturer and so I just started hanging out at his workroom after college. I'd, you know, I'd go to college each day and then I'd knock off and I'd trot down to his workroom and I'd just sit and watch and absorb and practice and play and it was great and he was a terrific, um, terrific mentor and very generous in his teaching. So I, was, I, guess, I guess it was timing was... I was just lucky to be in the right spot at the right moment for that to all culminate in where I've ended up, I guess. I love that story of, I mean, the, the visual of, yeah, doing your, your college work and then really throwing yourself into the art that, um, with your lecturer afterwards. And so when you finished at White House, was, was that it? Is that when uh, Fiona Schofield Millinery started or did you take on other jobs? Did you travel some more before you actually started your business? Um, no, so I, I finished college on the Friday and I started working full-time for Neil on the Monday. Um, <laughs> I, I've always had a really um, purposeful work ethic and I've got to, I really enjoy the work process. Um, so for me, I, I couldn't get started fast enough. And look, it was a great atmosphere. At that stage, he was... Um, his business was based in Surrey Hills, which was very much the, the rag trade hub then. Um, and it was great. We, we worked on everything there from, we did corporate work. So we did things like the Ansett Airlines hostess hats. Oh, cool. Um, 
which was really repetitive, mundane, boring, but it taught me a really good, you know, you have to have those bread and butter jobs that are, um, that are your regular process that give you that steady income. Um, on the flip side, we would also serve, you know, David Jones, uh, other beautiful department stores, independent boutiques with a wholesale range. And then we would have uh, private commission works that were customers through the door. And they were generally, um, we saw a lot of the trainer, the jockeys' wives and the trainers' wives, and they would come for spring carnival. And with four days of spring carnival, they had to have a good weather and bad weather hat option for each day. So it would always be a case of eight hats per person. Um, and generally, the the freedom to create, we would. There would always be, it was always my favourite part, there were, you got the opportunity to develop a real connection with the client and an understanding of what, what they felt comfortable in but also how far you could push their, their boundaries to, to really um, come up with something great for them to wear. Who's been so the best, who, who's been your most interesting racing client, the person that you really loved working with? Um, oh gosh, we, one of the jockey's wives was really lovely. Um, she would come each season and we would see her and at one stage she, um, mentioned that she was having a room built on to accommodate, a room built onto her house to accommodate all of her hats and clothes. Um, so good. Yeah, look, I, it, it's funny. We used to see a lot of, and I guess they, they would be called society girls, um, I, which was great. It was amazing seeing these um, women who you would see in the social pages and that sort of thing walk through the door. But for me, they were no different to your average woman walking in off the street but for me it didn't matter who it was the process was the same it was about finding what was great about them and and pulling it out of them so that they could feel even better so when you came to leave sydney that must have been terribly hard considering all the wonderful experiences you had had through this work it was it was really tricky um I worked with Neil for six years and then I, I had sort of reached a, a roof limit with him and I wanted to try something new. And I, I went and um, worked with, um, I had a friend who, who was working um, with Dinosaur Designs at the time and she said, oh, look, they're looking for someone in their production department if you want a change of pace. They're really nice people to work for. And, and so... I decided I'd um, I'd change my path and I went and worked for them and I ended up being there with for six years with them and they were they were fantastic. It opened so it opened my eyes to how you could work create creatively and in a creative industry and make a living out of it without compromising how you go at it, I guess. 
it gave me a sense of work and life don't have to be two separate things. I love I love getting an insight into people's workspaces and daily routines and the little things that they do to try and um, that, that just make their situation unique. So how do you do that? What, what does a, um, a normal work day look like for you? And are you an early riser? Do you love mornings or are your evenings more your thing? I used to be a morning person. I used to like to get up quite early. And I think that's probably when the children were younger too. It seemed to fit a bit better. Um, but I found, I think I'm more of a middle of the day person these days, Sky. That's good. That works um, well. Yeah. I, so a, a, a normal day for me is... Um, our alarm goes off quite early. It can go off anywhere from sort of 5.30 onwards, but usually it's about 6, 6.30. I'm usually spoilt. My husband will usually make me a cup of tea and I have a cup of tea in bed before I start my day, which is a real treat. And then it's hit the ground running for... I have three sons, two of whom are still school-aged and at home, and so it's dragging them out of the bed getting them up and moving and organised and ready to head off for school. And the weather's good. We walk up to school in the bus, although isolation recently, we've been homeschooling. And then once I've dropped them off, I usually swing past one of two or three of my favourite coffee shops and grab a coffee. And it's a nice opportunity to grab a quick hello or a chat with someone before my day starts and then I'm, I always have a right back to the workroom by 9.30 working at 10. And how often are you actually doing that sculptural work of making hats? I'm in here most days. So we have another business as well. And so my husband, um, his, his childhood dream was to go into food industry following the footsteps of his father and his grandfather. And so we have a business called Fresh Fodder and we make dips and soups. And I've heard the story of uh, Fresh Fodder before at, at, a, um, at a country-style lunch, actually, and it's such a gorgeous uh, one. Could you touch on how, how it started way back when? Mm, so back in the 70s, Max grew up in Sydney in the Upper North Shore, and his dad had a deli and small goods business, um, a little shop in Crow's Nest, and upstairs was a brothel, <laughs> and next door was a pawn shop. <laughs> I've forgotten that. Uh, yeah, sorry. Does that make this an R-rated version? <laughs> no, of it's fine. <laughs> um, uh, and they were owned by... There were, there were, there were, yeah, so there was, it was, it was owned by um, a Sydney businessman who had some interesting connections. Let's say that. That's probably the polite way to say it. Um, (laughs) Anyhow, Max's dad was coming to work one morning and the gentleman who ran the pawn shop was being beaten up by the bouncers from the brothel in the back lane. 
And just on instinct, his dad sort of hopped in to break up the altercation. Didn't really think about what he was doing, but he stepped in and, and, uh, and the guy that was getting beaten up saw the opportunity and took off, legged it down the street really quickly. <laughs> never to be seen again, uh-huh. everyone thought. Uh, and the bouncers were ropeable. They were so angry with his father for, for sticking his nose in their business and, oh, they gave him a roasting. And anyhow, Jim sort of went off to work and didn't really think anything more of it. But the gossip, of course, ran around all of the local shops that he, this chap had been getting beaten up because he'd had his, he'd been caught with his fingers in the till, been stealing money. Anyhow, weeks and weeks passed, you know, the speculation and the rumours and the stories all sort of died down and everyone sort of settled back into normal routine. And routine for Jim was that he would go in early in the morning and he'd always park and go in through the back door of the shop and um, do his prep and clean up and get organised for the day. And as he arrived, there was a gentleman sitting on the back step of his shop and and it was the chap from the pawn shop and he said, oh, you saved my life that day and I I cannot find any other way to give you thanks. He said, I have no money. It's true what they said. I, you know, I was doing the wrong thing. I had my fingers in the till. And, but he said, I, I owe a great debt to you so... Um, I've brought some ingredients with me and if you've got a moment, I'd like to show you how to make this recipe that is from my heritage. And and he had a bag with him that had a little Maggi mix and a handful of ingredients in it and he and, and Max's dad spent the morning together in the back room at the shop and he taught him how to make taramasalata, which is now our our leading product. It's a beautiful, it's a Greek, traditional Greek dip and it's made with fish roe and it's got a lovely lemony, seafoody, fresh, it's highly addictive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, so he gifted the recipe to Jim many years ago and, and we've made it on and off his family's made it on and off over the years and it was always Max's dream that he would make it accessible to the wider public. It's, and it's still, all these years later, there's still people who say, oh, gosh, what's Taramasalata? I think um, the whole fresh fodder story and growth and the, the fact that it operates from regional New South Wales is reason for another podcast episode because it's so so interesting but how do you manage how do you manage the two is your um millinery work is it does it take up most of your time or does fresh photo is your millinery work your uh your creative indulgence it um it flows and ebbs um my millinery probably takes up the primary part. So I, I, I work primarily in my studio and on an as-needs in it fodder. And so by the sounds of what you were telling me, um, you're honing in on your creative roots. And I didn't ask you, although I know now that you came from Forbes, but 
Was your childhood a creative one? Where did this come from? I, I've always been really creative. I, my mum will tell you that she can't draw a straight line and I keep telling her that that's not what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> but she was always very encouraging. She taught me how to sew at a really young age. I'm the youngest in the family. Uh, there's five of us, but I'm the youngest by quite a bit. My nearest sibling is six years older than me and there's 14 years between the eldest and I. So I almost had a separate upbringing. My three older sisters had all sort of all but moved out of home by the time I started school. And so I was quite lucky in that I got a lot of my mum's time. She and I used to do lots of, I remember... Um, walking up after school on on Tuesdays. So on Tuesdays, mum would always and has always had lunch with the same group of women for the last, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. When they were younger, they would golf in the winter and then have lunch and swim in the summer and then have lunch. And as they've aged, they now just have lunch. <laughs> But they would do wonderful things like they'd do the floral art course at TAFE or they'd do embroidery or they'd do... They always seemed to all be doing something. Mum always seemed to be learning something new. She'd be knitting a jumper or she'd be doing cross-stitch or not for any purpose but just for the joy. And they were a great group of women. I used to love school holidays, would be wonderful because you'd get to go to Tuesday ladies' lunch. <laughs> mm. And just the conversation and connection and support that they gave each other was really palpable and really lovely um, to watch. I think, I think probably at the time I didn't quite understand what it was, but I was quite aware that it was something really nice. Tell me about with your, your millinery business. So how long has, I don't think we ever got to that point. <laughs> we got way late in our conversation. <laughs> when, when did it actually <laughs> start? <laughs> when, when we moved to Orange, I was hugely pregnant with our second child. Um, our eldest was four and a half and it was a case of, well, we either go now or we're going to have to wait until this next baby's born and we're a bit sort of established and back into a bit of a routine and then we can move. So we, we both, Max and I, tend to be a little bit um, passionate, impulsive. Um, so we packed up and moved. <laughs> On, we arrived on the Saturday and Darcy was born on the Monday. So wow. after our first week in Orange, I'd spent more nights sleeping at the hospital than I had in our new house. Amazing. <laughs> um, and and that, I guess that has tended to, to be our way a little bit. Um, so I found myself in a new town with two small children and... And, and I, a clean slate, an open opportunity to start something. So I, I, I took it as my opening to, all right, well, maybe, 
maybe now's a good time to test the water and and see whether see whether there's a market out there for what I want to do. And I knew millinery was it, but I also knew that it was going to take a little while to establish that. You know, we're talking about 2004, so um, I think. Facebook was around, but no one was using it like they use it now. There were no markets happening. I was trying to find different avenues of how I could um, promote what I was doing. And, and I had a really mixed skill base. I had trained in clothes um, and I'd always made clothes. Um, even when, even after, you know, having gone to college and realising that that wasn't what I wanted to do I didn't want to do clothing as my career path. I knew I still wanted to remain in the industry. And so they sort of overlap and tie and, and cross in. And I had, in my time that I'd spent with dinosaur designs, I'd, I guess what I found was that access, I was far more interested in accessories than I was in the actual clothes. And, and I, I, I guess I still um, believe in that philosophy that, you know, cl clothes have a very functional, practical form. Um, my children tell me that I just buy new versions of the same things that are already in my wardrobe and that my look hasn't really changed particularly in my lifetime, which I take as a compliment, but I think they mean in a derogatory sort of way. But I think you can completely change an outfit with a beautiful pair of earrings or a fabulous hat or a wonderful scarf or a beautiful bag. And so I decided when I thought I'll just hang my shingle on the door and see if anyone comes and I'll, I'll just throw it all out there and see what they come for. And I, I worked out that if I, there was a gap in alterations and sewing services in town. So I thought, well, if I throw that out there, that'll get people in the door because people will come and they'll have a skirt made or they'll have some trousers hemmed and I can tell them all about my hats. <laughs> that gave me the opportunity to meet a lot of people and to talk to a lot of people and to start to make some connections in this new town that we'd moved to. Um, and I slowly started doing, I slowly started the conversion over. So I was doing less and less hems and more and more hats. And then I guess the rise of social media shifted that game completely. It just, all of a sudden everyone has an opportunity to talk to such a huge market and and the i guess the rise of um supporting a locally made product rather than you know there's definitely a movement towards people wanting to to support a local maker or to um to to keep a, a to keep a trade alive, I guess, and yeah, it's a bit of a rare one. So, I'm interested to know where you draw your inspiration from, and um, if you have any awesome Instagram accounts that we could also follow along with. <laughs> 
Um, I really love, I follow, look, I follow a lot of my Instagram feed is probably equal proportions of artists, galleries, florists, wood turners. I I really am quite drawn to anything that has that um, really earthy sort of feel to it, I guess. Um, Anything that has that creative practice and I love our accounts for days so I really like I I really like the shopkeepers Instagram page which is um, lots and lots of different shop fronts of all sorts of different businesses all over the world and then the spin-off from that one is the flower shopkeepers Uh and they're both really lovely accounts. They just, they just constantly have this. There's so much to look at in their photos. Um, and I, I love to see how other people have their, their spaces set up. I, you know, it's funny. The workroom is always a funny hybrid mess of some pretty things, some old things. Some, you know, there's always bits of fabric. There's... there's um, and I, you know, people will come for an appointment and I'm looking at my desk at the moment where I'm sitting and, you know, there's a couple of pin cushions, there's a skein of wool, there's half a dozen reels of thread, there's a glass jar that's got swing tags in it, it's four or five different pairs of scissors, there's, um, you know, some offcuts of felt, there's some tape measures, uh, you know, there's thimbles, there's a lot to look at and I, I it's funny I quite like the props that go with the industry almost as much as I like the industry um, I had someone comment this morning on my Instagram page about oh I really love that hat but hey what are those things in the background they're really cool um, and they're old timber spools oh. that um, would have had thread on them from you know they were used in practice Oh, from the mid-1800s through till the Industrial Revolution. You know, they're fabulous. They've just got a lovely tactile look and feel about them. And, and so I like, I like sort of being surrounded by things that have a story and, and have um, a previous purpose. And, and, um, and so they, yeah, I think I said earlier, they, they help to tell the story, create the feeling of what my work is about because I think it comes back to what we were saying earlier about um, work and life tend to blur when you're doing something that you really like and I find that that really rings true for, for what I'm doing and sort of making here you know I I sort of almost comment incidentally on the hats when I'm doing a social media post because I'm generally waffling along about what the weather's doing outside or how I'm feeling that day or it's you know it's quite personal in how I tell the story of why I'm making hats I guess. And what about Podcasts. Are you a listener? I am. I'm late to the. I'm late to the podcast 
trend, I have to say. I, well, I don't I know if it can be. I think it's still, it's <laughs> still, still getting there. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I, I often, I almost always have classic FM playing in the background when I'm working because I find if I have a podcast on, all of a sudden I realise that I've stopped working and I'm, I'm listening. I think my ability of um, multitasking is waning as I get older. And <laughs> so I find all of a sudden that I'm actually not hand sewing the brim edge and listening to the podcast. I'm just sitting listening to the podcast. Um, so I tend to listen to Classic FM in the workroom, but when I walk and I try and walk each day um, as much for my mental health as for my fitness, um, I do about a five or six kilometre walk and that's when I listen to podcasts. Um, and there's a, yeah, there's a couple I really like. Yours is one of them, Sky. Um, um, thank you, thank you. I really like Wardrobe Crisis, which is a podcast by Claire Press. She's the um, environmental editor at Vogue magazine. And she does some really interesting interviews around fashion industry and sustainability and ethical practice and, um, and how the industry impacts on the larger scale on uh, the environment. So I, I find her, um, her podcast really interesting because it often I often learn a lot from it, which I really enjoy. For light, for light relief, I listen to completely left of field, um, armchair expert, it's called. Uh, it mm. does need to come with a big language warning. They swear a lot. <laughs> but he interviews any ev everyone from industry experts to movie stars. So he's an actor himself and so you might have someone on there like Rob Lowe but then you might have someone on there who is I listened to one on the weekend actually and I've picked up a new podcast from that called The Happiness Lab and he interviewed a professor who her focus is around um, is around studying happiness and and studying it as a practice in terms of it's not just a given that um, happiness isn't just something that you get it's actually something that you have to work at I who who does armchair expert I've someone has recommended that before and I haven't delved right. into it but I will now after you've mentioned okay. it so it's a guy called Dax Shepherd yes that's right um and some look some of them are really good and others I think oh no this one's not my cup of tea so it can be a bit hit and miss um, and as I say, there's quite a, a lot of swearing in it. So if, if you're not a lover of that, don't go there. Um, <laughs> but I quite, it's quite, um, it's quite honest and raw at times, maybe a little bit confronting. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting mix. It makes me think, and I guess that's what I like and I look for in a podcast is I don't want to tune out. I actually want to tune in. Um, so I want to I want to hear something interesting, and I want to learn something while I'm listening. So, <laughs> well, um, and Fiona, before I let you go, 
How do we find you online? What's the best channel? So I'm old school. I still don't have a website <laughs> because I firmly believe that buying a hat involves a conversation. It's not just a click and collect kind of situation. Um, so Instagram is my primary one, I guess. Um, I'm happy to chat over the phone. <laughs> I am pretty good on answering emails. Um, but, yeah, probably Instagram is where I hang out most of the time and where I, I tend to draw most of my conversations directly with customers. So that's probably the starting point. And what's your... Address on and from Instagram. there, and it becomes a ah. So I'm Fiona underscore Schofield underscore Millinery. Beautiful. Well, Fiona, it's been so good to chat to you and get even more of an insight into what you do and how you got there. I am so fascinated. I just this is why I love podcasting. It um about about your background in fashion and. Uh, living in Sydney and your approach to to your creative work. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Sky. I hope I sound interesting because I love listening to your podcast and to the people that you interview and I always think, oh, gosh, that's such an interesting thing to say. And now that I'm doing it myself, I think, oh, gosh, this all sounds terribly boring and trivial. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can tell you that I have beside me a um, my my page full of questions for you, and it's covered in quotes of wonderful things that you said. So it's been so fascinating. I think everybody's always so self-deprecating when it comes to themselves, but um, I'm sure everyone. I know that um, listeners would love it. <laughs> I hope so. It's been lovely chatting with you. Isn't Fiona so fascinating and so dynamic? She's got so many things on the run, but still to me sounds like a very thoughtful creative. Thanks so much, Fiona, for taking the time again to speak on the podcast. I know I mentioned this at the beginning, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm putting the finishing final polishing touches on my first ever newsletter, which is going to be called Company on Sundays. It's a newsletter that will come out on Sundays and I want you to be able to sit down with a cup of tea or a warm cup of soup in front of the fire and indulge yourself on a Sunday, just like you would with a Sunday paper. You can sign up on my website, mansonandcompany.com. Or if you're having trouble there, you can be in touch with me on Instagram, sky underscore Manson. Until next time, take care.